DJ and PK, we are joined now by Riley Jensen, our college football insider and mental performance coach. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best state award winner, Smart Rain, has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties to sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Riley, good morning. What's happening, fellas? Well, there's some big football games in front of us. We're getting right down to it. Next to last week of the regular season, there are only three games matching ranked teams. 10 o'clock in the morning on ABC, it's Michigan State and Ohio State. That's number seven and number four. At one thirty, Arkansas and Alabama, 21st ranked Arkansas, trying to take down the Crimson Tide on uh, CBS. Good Good luck with that. And then at 5.30, prime time, it's the Utes and the Ducks. And everyone outside of the Pac-12 will be rooting for Utah to beat Oregon, knock them out of the playoff spot, open the door for somebody else, fill in the name of your school here. So the question to you is, what are the odds the Utes are going to do the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the SEC runner-up and Cincinnati and Notre Dame a favor and take one team out of the mix? Well, I think just like the Pac-12 this year, I think the, the Utes are hard to read, right? I mean, you have you have a Stanford game where they look like they're, they're world beaters. You have an Arizona game where, uh, you know, not everything was as crisp and as clean as they would hope. Um, I do think that this type of a game, you don't you don't have to do a lot to get your guys up for it. I mean, they're obviously going to be excited. They're obviously going to be motivated. They're obviously going to be, you know, focused in on the task at hand. Um, this is this is an interesting Utah team. If I asked you guys, out of Utah, Utah State, and BYU, who who is the highest scoring offense? Would have you guessed that it would be Utah? I mean, I I, I just didn't see that. I, I I don't think I felt that. And then I started looking through deeper into some of the stats. This is this is a fairly good offensive team for the University of Utah when it comes to third down conversions, when it comes to scoring, when it comes to keeping the chains moving. There's there's a lot of good things going on offensively. And so I'm I'm really interested to see what they do. Um, obviously, you know, when you think about Oregon, you always think about speed. But but un, under under this coach, this has definitely been a team that has tried to improve their toughness and improve their their line of scrimmage play. And I actually think that because of that, that the youths actually line up better against Oregon than maybe some other teams that try and spread you out and go side to side on the sidelines instead of going downhill on you. And those are the teams that I've seen Utah struggle with in the past more than I've seen teams that try and go downhill. And I feel like this Oregon team is a team that's going to try and run it, and they're going to try and establish the run, and they're going to try and keep running up the middle until they break through, and that I think that bodes well for the University of Utah. Yeah, I do too. How much does it matter when you get in that huddle and everybody in that huddle believes the quarterback can make a play? Oh, I think I think it makes a big difference, and 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 sometimes it's just the perception that he can make a play, right? Like it doesn't even have to be warranted. Now it's better in the case of of you know this case with the quarterback at the University of Utah, you. You know that he has money in the bank. You know that he he's made plays and that these guys are believing in him. But sometimes it can just be perception. But there's no question that. And I I think I've given this example before. But when 
when a guy's playing really well for you and you really believe in him, it takes the pressure off of playing perfectly. And when you're just trying to play excellent and you don't have to play perfect, it's weird that you'll, you'll, you'll kind of expand your play. And I'll, and I'll give an example, and I think I gave this example at Utah State the other day, but when you have a really good wide receiver, and when I played in college, I played with Kevin Curtis, and his, what I would call catching radius, was so wide, right? Like, you could, you could throw it high, you could throw it to the side, you could throw it low, he was going to catch the ball. And then what happens is, is all of a sudden, because there's no pressure on me to be perfect on those throws, you start throwing to him better. Right, you start putting it right on his helmet because you don't feel that pressure to do it, and I think that's true with this offensive line, especially that with Rising playing quarterback, that the offensive line doesn't have to be perfect. They don't have to win every single battle, and he can bail you out of some of those things and make you look good and not make you look bad by by missing your guy, and then it's automatically a sack. He actually will escape. He'll make a play with his feet. He'll make a play with his arm. And then what happens is it takes the pressure off, and all of a sudden you ease into your job as an offensive lineman, and it's easier to be excellent than it is to be perfect, especially from the mental aspect of things. Riley Jensen joining us. So when you look at Utah's offense versus Oregon's defense, especially if Utah's offense is shorthanded, uh, maybe Tavon Thomas will be back. Maybe they just held him out for one week and make sure he was ready for this game. And when you look at uh, you know uh, Bernard's ability to catch out of the backfield, assuming he can go too, have they got all the answers no matter what Oregon does? Or is there some point here where the Oregon defense can be the team that uh, holds the Utah offense down a little bit and maybe they don't get 30 points and maybe they don't get the 450 yards that Kyle Winningham is talking about every week? Well, I, I certainly think, and again, I, I'm not trying to bail out on this question, but it's really hard to predict with, with the Pac-12, right? Because you have this Oregon team that's played really, really well in some games and then it's had some head scratchers. I mean, if you wanted to take head-to-head battles and you look at the Stanford game for the University of Utah and then you look at the Stanford game for Oregon, you go, oh, well, Utah's going to run away with this. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think both of these teams are going to be up for this game, but I do. I my personal gut feeling is that Oregon, with its team speed and with with some schemes, and then not not they're not going to overlook Utah. Utah's past the point where they like go into a game against a Pac-12 opponent and they're overlooked in any way, shape, or form. And so the guys, the players on that team are going to be up for this game. You know, there's a couple of local guys with Noah Sewell, and you got Jackson Powers White that are that that play. They're going to be excited to play against the University of Utah. They're going to be talking about some of the guys and giving scouting reports to the guys that play, they played with in high school. I just feel like this is going to have a big game atmosphere. I think it's going to come down to to three or four plays that are super important, and the team that's most dialed in for those three or four plays is going to be the team that wins this game. And I don't think. I, I could not see this game being more than a 10-point win for either team. How do you handle Thibodeau, the great defensive end, edge rusher, linebacker type of guy who's just so good? So I think, uh, you know, my, my experience as an offense coordinator is this. You, you see a guy on film, he looks really good, he makes great plays. I think you always give your guys the confidence that you can do it with your normal scheme. 
but you also have contingency plans in for somebody like Thibodeau. He's he's, he's an unbelievable rush end. He's, he, he influences the run game with his ability to get upfield and get on guys. But you don't want to take away you don't want to take away from your offensive line and your guys, and they're they're also Pac-12 football players that that play really good football. So I think I think you start the game and you just. You, you play it straight up. You see if it's possible to block in with one guy, if it's possible to use those schemes. And then then if it's not, then you get creative. You bring a tight end over. You try and block him with two different guys. You, you know, in your passing game, you, you would chip, or not even chip, but double team with an offensive lineman and your, and your running back. But those are things that you kind of scheme in, in your opening series, right? So you, you're running some of the plays that you think you want to run, and you're kind of looking to see, like, is, is he going to be consistently, you know, a problem today or not? And that's really what the first eight plays or the first nine plays, plays of the game are, is to find out, like, can we handle Thibodeau? What kind, of, what kind of defense are they going to line up when we're in trips? What kind of defense are they going to line up when we're in two-back? What are they going to do when we're in one-back? And that's what – that's what those first eight to ten plays are for, so you can fill out. And then you can eliminate half of the playbook and go, okay, this is the way we need to handle it going forward. But in general, when you have a great player like him, you've got to use the screen game to slow him down a little bit. You've got to run at him a little bit. You've got to run away from him a little bit. And I always think, I always think with great players that are on the D-line, it's important to get going side to side with your run game. Get those guys running a little bit. See if you can get them a little bit tired in the first half so that in the second half you can really like kind of go at them in a normal way when you get to the second half. So the whole psychology of this game is all – you can totally outthink yourself all over the place here. One, you got you fans who are worried, well, it great blowing Stanford out. Now, we got to admit Stanford rolled over. I mean, they had some guys quit. Arizona right. did not – Arizona may not be good enough, but they kept playing. Now they weren't yep. they weren't good enough ultimately, but they kept playing. And maybe the youths got caught looking ahead, like, yeah, we beat one last place team. Here comes another one. I mean, well, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. So they didn't quite bring that extra level of energy that I assume they're gonna bring to this Oregon game. But you're also probably gonna play Oregon again in two weeks with much higher stakes. So you're the mental performance coach here. How much should coaches be getting their guys fired up? How much should guys be trying to you know, not play out of their mind? Or there's one game per week, don't worry about it, you amp yourself up every Saturday or Friday night in the case of the Stanford game and the Pac-12 title game, and you just go with that and stop out thinking the room. Yes, I think, I, look, the, the, you know, let's go 1-0 and this week. Whatever the coach cliche is, they're actually, they're, they're fa- in my opinion, they're fairly psychologically sound. Because what, you, what you're really trying to tell players is you just need to be focused on the moment. If you start thinking about two weeks down the line as a coach and as a player, you start going too far into the future. Now you're trying to control things that you can't control. You can only control the here and now. I do think that you, you, you want to manage a little bit that first quarter of them getting too hyped up for an opportunity like this, Right. You want to you want to play well, and um, regardless of the outcome, you want to feel like you were focused in, you were dialed in, and that you're playing the best football that you can play. Now, if that results in you playing again in two weeks, which I think we all know on the outside is probably likely, um, that's great. But what you want what you want from these guys is just to be hyper focused on this week and this opponent 
and what you're trying to do right here, right now. And that's really how people who are successful in life are. They're not, they're not distracted at nine in the morning while they're, you know, um, on a phone call with DJ and PK on like all the things that they have to do during the day. They're just focused. They're here. They're, they're interested in the conversation. They're talking about those things. And then when they get to those things during the day, then they're hyper-focused on those things. And, you know, that's true in golf. That's true in life. That's true in football. It's just to, to do the best that you can to really stay present in the moment. And there's lots of tricks to that. But I think coaches are pretty good about playing that game with the guys. Like, hey, this is the most important game on our schedule right now. And I think if those guys think in those terms – and they play well, that win or lose, when they get a chance to play them in the Pac-12 championship, it'll be good for them. It'll be really good for them. Oh, is it my turn? I lost focus. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you were thinking about all the things that, all the important things that you need to do today instead of talking to me, right? So, lie yeah. on the sofa, watch sports, lie on the sofa more, go to the fridge, get food, watch sports. Yeah, our days are pretty complicated. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a feeling 100. percent So I've been uh, taking. Must have taken three naps yesterday. So I probably got some more on. Oh on my tap gosh. For, Naps for are today. so underrated. They are so <laughs> underrated. Naps are so underrated. I think I took two before noon, and then around 4:30, I went down for another one. Put up a sign: "Do not disturb." Uh, you're doing it right, PK, because that means there's not a lot of stress in your life. If you fall asleep <laughs> in the middle of the day, you're doing good, man. Or I'm just uh, good at ignoring it, one of the two. Um, so Okay. So uh, that's also very healthy. I don't think you know how psychologically healthy that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel 100%. I feel so much better, man. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Utah's defense has shown a little vulnerability. They've got a running quarterback, and the Cats had some success in that way last Saturday. What do you think Oregon is going to do to attack the defense? Well, I think, I think what you have to be careful of when you, when you have a good running quarterback is getting too excited about that on, on relying on that. Um, if, if you'll remember when Tyler Huntley was here, one of the things that um, frustrated me about Tyler, and I think he's really kind of grown into his own as a pro now and all those sorts of things, and I think he did that at the University of Utah by the time he was in his last year of starting, but when when you are a running quarterback, there's there's a temptation to do one of two things. One is to prove to everybody that you can really run the ball and just to show off how good you can run the ball. Or number two, show off to everybody that, hey, I'm not just a runner, I can throw the ball. I think the key for Oregon is to just make sure that he stays within himself, that he runs the ball when he should run the ball, and that he throws the ball when he should throw the ball on time. And those are the most dangerous quarterbacks because if you get a beat on the fact that he's jumpy and he wants to get out and run, it's a lot easier to defend than if it naturally happens within the context of the offense. And those are the back-breaking quarterbacks. I think that's why Jaron Hall's playing at a high level, right? I think that's why this quarterback at Oregon can play at a high level is because they do it within the context of the offense. I think Cam Rising has an ability to do that as well. And so when, when a quarterback runs when he's supposed to run, and he throws when he's supposed to throw. That's much more dangerous than just really trying to force the issue of running the ball. Now, when he does run, it's dangerous. I think Utah's going to have to make some sort of an adjustment. They're going to have to think about a spy technique. That doesn't always work very well because then all of a sudden you're taking a guy out of the defense and he's just watching the quarterback waiting for him to run. 
and you're kind of taking them out of the pass game and the run game when you do that. So it's a, it's a tough deal. When, it, when a quarterback does it well, it's, it's really, really tough on defenses. Your Aggies now have two teams that look like they're overmatched on the way to their division title. You buying your tickets to the Mountain West Conference title Let's game? Not that you know where Aggies. it's going to be. Let's talk about the Aggies, baby. <laughs> that was, hey man, this is a fun team, and uh, I I should have bought in like TK a long time ago. I can't believe I didn't I didn't I wasn't drinking the Kool Aid early in the season. But this is a confident bunch. This is a team that's really, really fun to watch. Um, I had the opportunity to talk to a, a player on the team that I coached in high school, and he goes, he, he was kind of giving me all the coach speak at first. He's like, ah, you know, Coach Anderson, he's just an incredible motivator. and uh, You know, the team's really come together. And I'm like, hey, dude, like, this is Riley, man. Like, tell me the truth. Don't. And he goes, no, I'm telling you, man, like, things have come together. I feel like he doesn't go – overboard on the motivation, but he does enough to like keep you fired up. He goes, all the guys that have transferred in and all the guys that have been on the team are getting along really well right now. And he just said, this is a team that doesn't care about who gets the success. And I, I just really like that comment because to me, that means guys' egos are checked at the door and they're just like, whoever, whatever it takes to win, we're, we're all in. And, that, and that's what I like about this team. Yeah, you know, Tompkins has had an unbelievable year. He's leading the nation in receiving. He, you know, he makes unbelievable catches. But there's all kinds of guys that are, that are making plays up there. And it's, it's a fun team to watch. Really, really fun team to watch. So I think, I think, yes, I think I do need to buy my Mountain West Conference tickets. I'll probably buy them Saturday right after the game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Riley, as always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz radio studio analyst, is going to join us at 9 o'clock as the Jazz take it to the Philadelphia 76ers. Get ready for Toronto coming in tomorrow night. Jazz looked really good, but how much is that? Is the Jazz playing really well? And how much of that is Philly was very shorthanded? We will get to that next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Blake Anderson, head coach at Utah State. You talk about 1-0, and and, uh, but you are dealing with uh, you know kids that are on social media. They see what's going on. I know you mentioned you addressed it a little bit last week. Is that something you address again, or you feel like that message is sent across to these guys, knowing that, hey, block out what's out there, just focus on Wyoming, and everything else will take care of itself? I really did talk to them about drowning out the noise and having laser focus on the job that is at hand and, and doing what we have to do, and there's nothing going to be easy. It gets even harder. To me, the more tendencies you have, attrition has taken hold, there's extra expectations and pressure that you didn't have at the beginning of the season, it gets tougher and tougher to maintain that. It's got to be important enough to us we're willing to go out and pay the price to earn it, and I think that starts at practice. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com DJ and PK in the morning proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, coming up at 9.05 this morning, and we will address the question of the day with him. The Utah Jazz just routing the Philadelphia 76ers. But what does that mean exactly? 
Does it mean the Jazz are on to something? Or the Jazz simply destroyed a really shorthanded team, and it doesn't really mean much anything because they're just not that good in their current form. Fritz says they destroyed a team that had Philadelphia's jerseys on, but that was not the 76ers. Nah, Steve Mix ain't walking through that door. Zach says the 76er team is terrible. Nice to get the W, but my elders quorum team could have beat the Sixers tonight. Nah, Bobby Jones ain't walking through that door. Anthony, they played better with more energy, and the Sixers were very shorthanded. Nah, Anthony, Andrew Tony ain't walking through that door. Brian says a win is a win. On to the next game. Yeah, I mean, they don't have Caldwell Jones, and he's not coming through that door. It's a little uh, Bill Belchekian right there. On to Cincinnati. That would be On to Bel- Toronto. Belichickian. You just Bill Checkian? Yeah, Bill Checkian. Yeah, Bill Checkian. <laughs> Bill Checkian. First of all, who's Bill? And does he come from a long line of Checkians? Yes, he does. Apparently. Bill Belichickian. Keep, keep going with these. I want to hear how many more 76ers. Oh, I should. I should just, just keep reading with. stuff so PK can just. PK just calls up 76ers all-time we're, scoring we're, leaders we're, and just starts going down the list. We're going to get the Elton Brand here pretty quick. Scoring. I don't need to go on no list. I got it in my head, man. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Big says, NBA fan growing up. Ben says a little bit of both. Okay, this is where you got to come up with another player. You got it in your head. Come on, let's go. Well, I mean, I can go Dr. J and Moses Malone and the big famous right. ones, but I like the more obscure guys. I don't know. Morris, Bruce Cheeks really isn't obscure, is he? No. No. I, he's pretty well-known. Solid player in the league for many years. And went on to coach, too. So that gets his name out there for another generation. He's still coach. He's always been uh, Billy Donovan's assistant for the last uh, several years. I think he's with him. I was uh, certainly with him in Oklahoma. I think he's with him in Chicago right now. Unlike Nick fans who acted like they won the championship beating COVID-ravaged Sixers, Jazz and their fans kept it classy. <laughs> Hashtag respect. I don't know any. No, I have no knowledge of that. Yeah. So both things can be true. The Jazz played better. They passed the eyeball test. They ended the game in the second quarter. Hard to end an NBA game in the first quarter. There's so much time left. But they went. They pushed the lead to was it 16 at halftime, and then completely blew the thing wide open in the third quarter. And it was over. So what more can you do? They did all they could do against that team. I think it's really important for the Jazz to be in rhythm. Because when they're in rhythm and things are in sync, they're certainly a fun team to watch. And their opportunities to win ball games just soar extremely high. And that's what they need. That's what they need to be doing offensively, playing in rhythm, doing what they do, making that pass. Mitchell and Clarkson are one-on-one guys that can break you down, so you let those guys do what they do if they see a, an opening. Or if Clarkson doesn't see one, he just keeps dribbling until he finds one. And uh, the rest of the guys, they've got to rely on each other and the ball movement and stuff and all that type of stuff to be able to have success offensively. And and then defensively, uh, you know, Gobert, he does what he does, man. He had that... Uh, that block of a hook shot. You block a hook shot, then you're <laughs> you're just a supreme shot blocker, because that was the invention of the hook shot in the first place was to avoid the shot getting blocked. And if you block it, then man, you're really on to something there. And so that was that was fun to see. And nothing wrong with a little bit of a slump here and there, 
to allow you to refocus and all that stuff. Uh, the fact is, if you go into a ball game, uh, you look at each team, particularly at home, and the teams. It's uh, you know the teams that come out east from back east come out here, and they're I mean, it's usually part of a, a long trip. It's not a one game deal like they do in the NFL, and so you know who knows where they are and course of the trip, the four games, at the fourth game, and the six nights, or whatever it might be. So they get a little bit worn down. So you should be able to do, beat these guys. And and Embiid's oh, a supreme player. You know, if you want to make the case that he's the best center in the league, uh, probably all-around game, it's going to be uh, Jokic and uh, Embiid, and you can flip a coin who you want. I'd be very comfortable with either player for sure. Uh, and him not being there is a major blow to your chances to win, and we all understand that. Uh, but, you know, I look at it a little bit like last year with BYU football, uh, and they took so much heat for their schedule, and it was a crummy schedule, but we understand the circumstances, so we certainly give them slack. Uh, being able to have the uh, opportunity just to play the games was uh, very impressive. Uh, but it was more about the Cougars, you know, what do they do? Uh, as opposed to the lesser competition. Because lesser lesser competition can still beat you if you don't do what you do. And that's what I took out of the game with the Sixers. The Sixers still could have found a way, certainly, to make that much more competitive or potentially even win if the Jazz didn't come out and do what they're capable of doing. And that's the thing that I focus on. They did what they're capable of doing. So I put the opponent off to the side. Now, I acknowledge that the margin of victory and all that stuff and the relative ease of that was because the opponent was undermanned. I understand that. But I still want to focus more on what the Jazz are doing as opposed to the other guy. Because the other guy, they're here today and gone. So why focus on them? It doesn't really matter. It's more about this team. What can it do to maintain its ability or get to its ability? You know, they had maintained it earlier. They slumped. Now you want to reestablish it. And they did. That's where I'm focused. I'm focused far more on what the Jazz are doing and the rhythm that they can play with. Because we know it, and when we see it, we know that their opportunity to be successful is really good. Yes, and I feel like the test really wasn't about that one game. I mean, obviously, ultimately, it's going to be about the playoffs. But in the regular season, going with the school analogy, it's 82 quizzes, and then you get to the, you know, the big test at the end of the year. You get to the final exam. And so you're going to play teams that aren't as good. You're going to play teams as shorthanded. You know this going into the year. It happens every year for every team. So consistency, and what you came up with, because you went to numbers, because that's what you do early. I, I love that oh, about you. sure. Yeah. And you did early in the show. You said, well, they're going to have a run where they go 17-3 and three or something like that over 20 games. And 20 games is just a round number, whether it's 18 or it's 24 or whatever. We get the point. So in a 20-game run, you're going to face a team that just blows. You're going to face a team that should be good, but isn't good because they're missing the two-star players like Philly. You're going to be at home for a bunch of them. You're going to, be, you're going to have a big road trip mixed in somewhere in that. That's all the normal stuff that comes with an NBA season. And on any one night, you get any one of them. But over a 20-game segment, you get them all. You will play yeah, an elite yeah. team that's got everybody. For sure. And this is what every this is what the Warriors are going through too. Now it happens that they had a bunch of home games early on. But we know when it's done, they're gonna have forty one at home and forty one on the road. So you can break down the schedule 
And you should make hay when you're playing the teams that are that are bad and the teams that are shorthanded. And when you get a big run of games or at home or you avoid a bunch of back-to-backs for a long period of time. Those, those soft spots exist and you should cash in on them. So you don't really have to apologize for when you get one of them because all these teams that we think are elite, the Jazz, the Warriors, whoever else you want to throw in there. The Nuggets have got injuries right now. They, they should be in that group. The Suns should absolutely be in that group. Whoever you want to put in that group. Suns are playing well right now. Yeah, they are. And nine they're in, the, in a row, haven't yeah, they? Right. Yeah, they had the terrible start at 1-3, and three, and then they've just gone off since then. So they're all going to have these stretches, but what do you do over 20 games? So there's one. Now, you do get another team in on a long road trip. It's odd that Toronto is coming in tomorrow night, and like Philly, they get a couple days off. So they won't be exhausted you know, with the back-to-back and horrible travel arrival time, and all, all that will be worked out. It's the second game of a six-game trip. So that kind of stuff is all interesting when you're trying to figure out any one night, but the Jazz are way past the point where it's about any one regular season game. Bigger picture, okay, you got embarrassed. You had a great start at 7-1. and one, You lost four out of five, and you felt embarrassed by the way you lost the last one. It was Donovan's post-game comment. So I expected him to come out with more energy, and it wasn't a great start in the first quarter, but by the second quarter, there was very little to complain about. I mean, you really had to start nitpicking on individual possessions. So now do it again. Do it again. There's nothing this month that says this ought to be really difficult. So you will have a bunch of overmatched teams. You need to win, win comfortably, and pass the eyeball test. The ball's moving. We know what the blender looks like. We know when three or four guys start getting layups and dunks and guys aren't staying in front of their man. I mean, we know what they look like when they're good offensively and defensively. So they pass the eyeball test. It'll be interesting to see if they have piled up a bunch of those wins you talk about by the end of this month. And how much can they keep it going into December? In December, they will have a big road trip. I mean, you can't go forever in the NBA without going away for four or five games. I think no matter what the temperature, no matter (laughs) time of year, when you're breaking down basketball like that, I feel extremely warm. Nice! Because the temperature is supposed to be down in the 40s today. Winter is finally arriving. But it might as well be in the 80s. November when you're 17th. breaking it down, there is literally nobody better who's ever been born. No, stop it. Oh, come <laughs> on. Hubie Brown. Stop it. Hubie Brown. Hubie can break it down. Yeah, he can. But not to the beautiful way that you can. See, he coached, of course. You expect that. You never coached. For a non-coach, it's pretty impressive. If I were Mark Jackson and whatever Van Gundy's doing it, I'd be nervous. (laughs) I don't think they are. And you've been quoted in Sports Illustrated. The level of achievement and accomplishment... No wonder why. It's like, you know, one of those guys giving up a retirement speech and he wants to thank everybody, mm-hmm. but he knows if he starts naming, he'll forget. Yep. That's why you never list all your accomplishments, because you know if you start naming, you'll forget. I forget a lot of stuff these days. Right. Whereas, you know, I won. Somehow I won the columnist of the year. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! That was awesome when you won that. I, I was so sick of you and your stupid rants. I just couldn't wait. Oh, I don't win awards. I'm a junkyard dog. And your wife happened to be listening. And she's texting. Yeah, let him have it, DJ. Let him have it. I'm tired of that, too. 
Well, <laughs> and much like Marlon Brando with the Oscars, <laughs> I declined the award. Who <laughs> just said on your behalf? <laughs> I did not accept the award. <sighs> I did not enter that contest. <laughs> that was the old sports editor, Anastasi, who used to live for that stuff. I think he hired people just to cut out <laughs> samples clip, and mail it to them to whoever voted. Clip the stories, fill out the forms, send it in. Yeah, 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 because I certainly didn't. It, it actually turns in, entering awards actually turns into a lot of work, and it gets pretty expensive. Is that how you won? You paid for City Weekly? Yeah, can you believe that? We're just finding out. He paid to win the City Weekly all this time. Yeah, I was actually talking about Bought and was, paid for. I was actually talk, all right. I was actually talking about the Emmys. The oh. Emmys? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like, it's, it's. How many freaking Emmys you got, man? Uh, like 13? 14? No. Man, you're freaking chasing Jack mantle. Nicholas yeah, down for I, most Emmys, aren't you? I think I have two. They adore in the mantle. <laughs> All of them. They should. Got to do that. Got to pull them out of the boxes. <laughs> They're not doing anybody any good in the boxes. And the why? No wonder why you told me about that wing. Now I know what's in the wing in the house. <laughs> the, the, the trophy wing. Yeah. <laughs> this shrine to myself. Are you going to do like a presidential library when you get near Crokin? Uh, I really hope not to do that. <laughs> and sounds, then we can all like come a, visit. Sounds the, like a lot of work. The David James Sniggledorf Memorial Library. I'd rather, yeah. go, I'd rather go golf with you at Bonneville and see if I can dump the ball into the tennis courts off the fifth and, and then we can see all the awards that you won and <laughs> I get go nothing through the illustrious that. career. I thought you'd find that funny. You get nothing for, I get nothing for that? Well, you, yeah, but see, you know, because you undersell You've you've gotten so much better in golf, though. I mean, you you self-deprecate in golf, uh, but the reality is you don't suck. And I've seen substantial improvement, which coincides with the frequency increase thereof playing. So it's sort of natural. And if you ever bought uh, equipment (laughs) that wasn't made in the freaking 1920s. Hey, I love that persimmon wood. So you back off, okay? (laughs) Get the freak with it, man. Get some new stuff. I've told you where to go. I've told you to speak to. You'll get even better. You're representative now, and you can get better if you would actually make a... You've made a commitment, but now you need to make another level. I need to double down. I I need to split those nines. I've got a family connection that can handle this problem and address yeah. it. So, Ooh, really? Yeah. yeah Scotty G like said, 10 of them. never split nines, DJ. Split the eights, not the nines. I can hear Scotty you, now. You, If you would make a f- another, take another step, another level of commitment, then we would see even more improvement. So I blow off your, oh, I suck at golf. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst. Coming up in 15 minutes, next, the Cougars. Man, can they just play a steady diet at Pac-12 schools? Every sport. Just line them up. Let's go. That's next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After a much-needed bye week, Kalani Sitaki and the Cougars begin a two-game stretch to end the regular season on the road as they square off against the Eagles of Georgia Southern. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with a postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
Caller 12 right now wins two tickets to the soundcheck party and two tickets to the concert to see Jeff Tate, formerly from the band Queensryche, at the Depot, November 22nd. Tickets are available at LiveNation.com. This is sponsored by Live Nation. It's a win tickets Wednesday. Depot, November 22nd. See Jeff Tate. DJ PK, how about the Cougars hammering number 12 Oregon in Portland? What more can you say other than, wow? Well, that's the best regular season non-conference win since the Oklahoma State Cowboys came into, I think it was then, the Delta Center. Going way back. Yeah, that was a great, great environment. Uh, Steve Cleveland had set that stuff up. Eddie Sutton brought his team in there. I think that team might have even gone to the Final Four that year. Uh, I know they did at one point. I'm not sure if it was the exact same team. And Arujo had a massive game. Obviously, beating Gonzaga is always big, but that's a conference game here of late. But non-conference, and that was just a beautiful December late afternoon, if I remember. Uh, Steve Cleveland had that ball club flying high at that point. And this one here was right there. It, uh, it was stunning, man. Uh, think about uh, that other one, you know, was a home it's a home crowd anyway, whether it was a home game. It wasn't specifically, but it certainly was a home crowd. Uh, and they had established themselves because it was later. It was uh, second week in December, I think. So you had a little bit better feel of what your team was about. And in those days, too, you didn't have 15 new guys year <laughs> so so many it's hard, it's hard to judge these college basketball because they're here today literally gone tomorrow and so some teams take some time you know so you don't know you don't really know what you have uh because it's hard to just throw a bunch of players together and go be a team you can play ball but go be a team's another story but nevertheless man that was just very very impressive for the cougars they, they they've got to be thinking Wow, man, we we got a shot. You know, Gonzaga is always the big dog for right reasons. Yesterday afternoon, I'm not feeling well, so I was just at home, and on my Fox television, uh, they play replays on the direct. I have the Fox channels, so I'm watching one out of Northwest. I think it was Gonzaga and Alcorn State, and I wasn't watching to see who would win because obviously the Bulldogs are going to win, or else I would have known about that. But you know, just trying to get a feel for Gonzaga and this Holmgren kid. We saw Timmy last year, uh, and they're very, very good. But the Cougars, man, they got to like their chances because that was that was as complete a game as I've seen BYU basketball play in a good long while. And it was exciting for them, for me as a fan anyway, to see, to see that. I, I can't be more impressed. That Oklahoma State game's a long time ago, so I don't remember a lot about it. There are a few things I remember, but I thought that was a pretty competitive game. I don't remember BYU getting, you know, I don't know, Power 5 team, ranked team, you know, routine NCAA tournament team, and just dominating for 40 minutes. There was no, you're waiting for Oregon to go on this run, you know, and outscore them, I don't know, 17 to 6 or something over six minutes and and start to claw their way back into their game. And there was none of that. There was what you pointed out out of the locker room at halftime. There were a couple of buckets and they got it down to 17 or something. And then, boom, BYU went on another run and it was like, nope, that was nothing. That was just a couple of random buckets. And that was it. Yeah, that's exactly that, what it was. That was it. There was no, there was never, there, there's not a stretch of the game where Oregon can go back and say, hey, look at these six or seven minutes. This is who we can be. 
And we've just got to expand on that. They got transfers coming in from all over the place, and there's a learning curve, and it's only November. But there, there isn't even six or seven minutes of that to really hang their hat on. No. And the leader of the team is not, well, he was a transfer back when, but he's been here for uh, a few years now. So, uh, and obviously I'm talking about Barcelo. And so he's the, the, the piece that holds it all together. Uh, and to see him play like that and just be so good, it was fun and exciting for, for BYU because you can have a bunch of transfers and a bunch of young guys, and they do have that. It seems like they always have that. Uh, Everybody does. But to days. have yeah. your best player be a veteran in Mark Pope's system and be such a stabilizing influence and a calming influence and, like, guys, I got this. You know, we saw what he did. He did basically the same thing. Uh, in much closer games, the first two games here, you know, the margin of uh, between the two teams was always big. But to watch him play like that, it's just you, you really can't say enough about it. And I'm excited for their future this this very year, and then going into it, uh, the Big Twelve. You know, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, I and I tweeted out that man BYU owns the Pac-12 so much. If I was Washington, I'd hire, I'd hire Mark Pope. To be their football coach. We actually do have comments about that, that the rate BYU's going, uh, Kalani's not going to be the only guy fielding offers. Well, of course. Uh, Pope, Pope had options coming out of UVU, and he's going to have options here, too. And I think that BYU is more aware of that, which is why it, they took uh, better care earlier of Pope than they did Kalani. And I can tell you that people in the BYU football program had been perturbed by the amount of love shown to Mark Pope earlier than the amount of love that was shown to Kalani. And I'm talking employed people. I'm talking alumni, influential alumni, former players. I, I, I told you a story one time coming out of a restaurant, I think it was uh, last summer, of a very high-profile alumni just chewing on my ear about why won't they love Kalani the way they love Pope. And the one thing I could think of is because Pope hit the ground running a little mm-hmm. quicker. yeah, And so he drew some more attention. So the attention that he drew force their hand now Kalani's going to draw and is drawing that same type of intention so it'll force BYU's hand now Kalani was two games over 500 after four years on the job yeah whereas Pope was cranking out NCAA tournament teams from the start right but now that was then this is now and it's beautiful in college sports well in all sports pro sports too but what have you done for me lately and nobody yeah. really cares about what happened four years ago. And what has Kalani done lately? 19-3. and three. And we're all assuming that <laughs> uh, after about three hours of football in Georgia this weekend, it'll be 20-3 and three in the last 23 games. Impressive. At which point, then you're going to USC for, I don't know, job addition is overstating it, but it is ironic that a team that's got an opening who's, you know, he, he has been linked to uh, will be the opponent Thanksgiving weekend. All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, Tim Lacombe, former Utah and BYU basketball staffer, now Jazz Radio studio analyst, will join us next. Stay with us.